we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 4 today. Um, so let's, uh, let's turn there to Joshua chapter 4, and then let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us the book of Joshua and recording for us these great stories and these great lessons that, uh, that are taught to us through your word. And Lord, I pray that you would now open our minds and open our hearts so that we can learn about you and about ourselves. And uh, Lord, I pray that this would be a, uh, a time when we are receptive to your leading and that you would impact our hearts and our minds today and that we would have the wisdom to know what you're calling us to do and, uh, and, what we, and give us the courage and the strength to, to do what you're calling us to do. Lord, I pray this in your son, Jesus. Amen. So my question to start off with today is, how good is your memory? You ever uh, forget somebody's name? I have occasionally forgotten people's names. They tell me their name, and 30 seconds later, I don't know what their name was. They just told me. Or sometimes it's somebody that, like, I really know their name, but for some reason, it's just, I can't think of it. I just don't, I, and, and uh, it might be somebody that I know really well, but I just can't think of their name. Um, or maybe uh, another type of remembering and, and memory that we have to do is uh, remembering special days and, uh, and special events and things like that, like uh, birthdays or anniversaries. Now, I was, I was wise on this one. I will never forget my wedding anniversary because I got married on December 27th, two days after Christmas. Not going to forget that. There's plenty of reminders there for the 27th. But on other things, um, sometimes I'm not quite as good. Um, this year, I forgot my parents' birthday. Um, my parents have the same birthday. not the same age, but they have the same birthday. And, uh, and it was just a few weeks ago in September. And my mom gave me a call and said, hey, uh, did you remember to call your dad and wish him a happy birthday? Of course, it's her birthday, too. And I was like, oh, um, yeah, I'll call him in just a few minutes. So I talked to my mom for a little bit, wished her a happy birthday, and then uh, called dad out in the garage and talked to him, too. So, but uh, every now and then that happens. Um, and then there's, there's another kind of uh, remembering, too, that some of us struggle with. Sometimes we uh, have a hard time remembering what people have done to help us in the past. Uh, when someone has a need, we sometimes forget that someone helped us when we had a need. We forget what it felt like to be the one that was in need and, and how good it felt when somebody came and helped us. It's not like we've really forgotten that. Right? It's not like uh, we, we don't, you know, somebody reminds us of it, we don't say, what, that never happened. No, it's, it's there, it's in our memories, but sometimes we just kind of aren't thinking about it. And it just kind of, uh, we don't remember, even though it's still back there somewhere. And that struggle with remembering things is true in our spiritual lives, too. And, and I don't just mean how hard it is to remember the, the memory verse each month, uh, which we're doing live scripture memory verse again this month, so uh, be ready to come up front and do the scripture memory. You don't have to do it with a video and all that anymore. You can do it right here. Uh, so memorize that verse and, uh, and win a cool prize. Do it up front here. But, but that's not the memory difficulties that we're talking about today. It isn't just, you know, memorizing verses or trying to remember all the great things you learned in your journey group last year or all that. that those are kind of hard to remember, too, but sometimes we forget the big stuff. We forget what God has saved us from. We forget the damage we did to ourselves when we sinned and the relief that we felt when God forgave us. We forget how good it was when we first were adopted into God's family. We forget the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. You know, we don't forget those things in the sense that we, we don't remember that they happened. They just aren't in our minds. We're not thinking about them. They're not, they're not there um, prominent in our thoughts. Um, because, see, sometimes the biggest danger to our spiritual life is forgetfulness. We forget foundational truths about ourselves. We forget basic truths about who God is. We forget what God has done for us. We forget God's promises. We forget to pray. But God knows this about us. And so he has done things to help us remember. He's given us some, uh, some things to, to, to stir our memory and help us. And of course, the biggest thing is that, that starting with Moses at Mount Sinai, uh, he has caused uh, uh, human authors, he's inspired them through his Holy Spirit to write down the scriptures for us so that we have a written record of the things that we should remember. And one of those uh, inspired authors, Peter, who was Jesus' closest disciple, he wrote this uh, in his uh, letter of 2 Peter. He said, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, and I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by our holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So what Peter is writing in these letters, what we have now in the Bible, is not new information for these people. He is writing to, to remind them. They need this written letter to make the teachings that they've already heard from the apostles uh, more permanent in their minds. Teaching that is spoken, you know, a spoken word teaching has advantages over the written word, right? We're, we're able to deliver it in a way and there's a, an engagement with, between the, the speaker and the audience that's different than just uh, words on a page, right? But, um, but the spoken word, um, for all its advantages, also has some disadvantages. The written word 
has more permanence. We can go back and look at it again later. If we forget what it says, we go back and reread it. We can take our time to really study the writings in ways that's, that's pretty tough to do with oral communication. And so God chose to give us the Bible in written form so that by reading it and studying it and being reminded over and over of the things that God has taught us, we can be stimulated to wholesome thinking, as Peter put it. And obviously the book of Joshua that we're studying now is part of that writing that God has given us for our edification. And it's a great thing that we have this story that we're going to look at now in Joshua chapter 4 um, as part of our Bibles. But, but God did not only give us the Bible to help us to remember important spiritual truths. There was other things that he did as well. One thing that uh, God did for us is he gave us uh, religious holidays and ceremonies to remember the things that he has done for us in the past. So there were a number of those that are specifically commanded in the scripture. This is what you are to do every year. Do these ceremonies, uh, celebrate this holiday to remember. So, uh, for instance, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's uh, in the section of uh, instructions about how to keep the annual holiday of the Passover, he says this. He says, sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God an animal from your flock or herd at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste. And then he says, why, why should you do this? Why you eat this uh, animal and use unleavened bread? So that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. So God wants these people to remember the events of the Exodus. And it's also kind of interesting the way it's worded here because this is Deuteronomy, which if you, uh, if you know your, your history of the Exodus, Deuteronomy is written right at the end of Moses' life, just before they go into the Promised Land. And he says to them uh, that you may remember your departure from Egypt. These people that he's writing to did not depart from Egypt. Maybe some of them as little children, but this is the next generation. Um, so he's talking about the people of God departed from Egypt. Not, not you as an individual. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting application. And then that, of course, goes on for, for generations, that they continue to practice the Passover in order to remember that the people of God came up out of Egypt. And, and, and that holiday, and especially this passage about eating the unleavened bread, is about that remembering. So you might think, well, how could they forget that they came up out of Egypt? Right? I mean, obviously, that's part of their history. They know it. They're not going to forget it. But, but as I was saying earlier, it, it's not that they would forget that it's happened. It's that it would just cease to be prominent in their thinking. It would cease to be something that's on their minds and affecting the way that they go about their day-to-day lives. And, and that is actually what happens. You know, for instance, when they got to the border of the promised land and God says, okay, now it's time to take the land, they forgot about the Passover and all that God had done for them. And, and their faith in God failed. And they shrunk back in fear. But God wants his people to remember. And so he says, every year you need to have this religious holiday to remember how I saved you from Egypt. Sacrifice a lamb to remember how on that first Passover, the people sacrificed lambs in place of their firstborn sons so that the destroying angel would pass over their homes. And eat unleavened bread to remember how they left Egypt in haste after the Egyptians saw the judgment from God that had come to them on this tenth and final play. And of course, there's a number of other annual celebrations described in the Bible. There's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Purim, the Festival of Lots, Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, and, and the origins of all those ceremonies and, and holidays are, are described in the Bible, and, and they're all to be to, they're designed to remember important spiritual events in the lives of God's people. And some Christians still remember those Old Testament holidays. Um, some of us still celebrate those. Uh, but mostly in our day, uh, we have replaced uh, those holidays with our new Christian holidays. Uh, our big three Christian holidays are what? Christmas, when we celebrate, obviously, the, the coming of God to earth in human form. Good Friday, when we celebrate the uh, death of Jesus on the cross and his sacrifice that paid for our sins. And, of course, Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection. And all of those are, uh, why do we have those annual celebrations? To remember the core events from uh, our salvation story and from the story of God and his interaction with people. And so that those things, not that we will forget, but we want those things to be prominent in our minds. Um, so the written word, the Bible, serves as, as a reminder of spiritual truths and events. And religious holidays serve as a reminder of spiritual truths and events. And God has given us these things because we are prone to forget. Because sometimes the biggest enemy of our spiritual life is forgetfulness. And our story from the uh, book of Joshua today, the focus is on another way, a third way, that God has given people uh, to help them to remember the things that he has done for us. So you remember last week uh, in the story of Joshua chapter 3, the people crossed the Jordan River. And this was a very significant event uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, the Jordan River was the border of the Promised Land, right? So uh, now, finally, uh, they are actually entering the land 
Hundreds of years after it was originally promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and, and down the line, and, and even decades after they left Egypt and were told, well, now God is going to take them into the promised land. Now they are finally doing it. They're crossing the Jordan. They are entering into the promised land. So that, that's a big deal. But of course, the other significant thing about this uh, crossing of the Jordan is that they didn't cross the Jordan on a bridge or, or something like that. They crossed the Jordan on dry land. They walked across the dry riverbed because God did a miracle. See, most of the year, the, the Jordan could be forded without too much trouble, right? Uh, but this was the rainy season when the river was at flood stage. And it is true that a strong young man, like, remember that, that spy that was here a couple weeks ago? Um, you know, he, he crossed the Jordan to go over to, to uh, Jericho and came back. Because, you know, big, strong guys like that, they can make it across the river and back. That's okay. But the whole uh, nation, you know, including uh, children and all the, the sheep and goats and everything and all of their worldly belongings and everything to all cross over, that was going to be a major problem. And so God did the miracle. Um, God stopped the water so that they could walk across on dry land. And it was an incredible miracle. And yeah, the river was smaller than the Red Sea that God had parted earlier, but still, this was not something that was uh, possible to do. But God did it. Because God can do what he wants, even if it is impossible. And God can intervene on behalf of his people to keep his promises. And we heard that story last week. And, and, and this week's story goes back to, they're still kind of crossing, it's still uh, part of that crossing narrative, but it, uh, it fills in some of the details and it emphasizes um, another element of the crossing of the Jordan. So let's go ahead and start looking now at the text in Joshua chapter 4, starting with verse 1. It says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, um, they've been standing out of the middle of the riverbed for quite some time now. They, they waited out there. They, they, you know, they were the first ones to get to the river. It was when they like, took that step right into the water that the water suddenly stopped. And then they walked out into the middle, and then they stopped, and they waited out there. And then all the people, all the thousands and thousands of people all went by. Um, we figured they must have gone like wide out around because they were ordered to keep a distance from the ark itself, right? But that's okay because the, the river was dry for miles and miles. So they just went out around and, and got up on the bank on the other side. And, uh, and they've been standing out there all this time. And now Joshua says, uh, or Joshua gets this instruction from God to choose a representative, one from each of the 12 tribes, send them out there to get a rock from where these guys are standing and, uh, and bring it back. And, and they're going to take it to where they're going to camp that night, which is the first camp in the promised land, the first place where the people stayed in the land. And then in the next verse, Joshua does exactly what God told him to do. And he passes on the instructions to the 12 uh, representatives. And here's what Joshua says to them. He says, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. So apparently there's some pretty big stones out in the river. We're not talking about little pebbles here. Uh, they're putting them up on their shoulder to carry them, right? So they've got some pretty good sized rocks out here from the, um, from the Jordan. And I'm assuming that these guys didn't have to carry this all the miles uh, from camp. After they brought it up out of the riverbed, they probably passed it off to, you know, and took turns carrying these rocks. But anyway, they carried these stones uh, a few miles to where they were camping in the land. And Joshua tells them that these stones are going to serve as a sign for them going to be a sign. And one part of that sign, uh, one part of the symbolism of what these things mean, is that there's 12 stones from the 12 tribes. And the tribes were a little bit like the 50 states we have in our nation. They had 12, like, kind of provinces or states or something in their nation of Israel. Um, but a little different than the states in that uh, their tribes um, actually traced their ancestry all back to the same guy, right? So each tribe had one uh, forefather. And so they're all not just uh, regional tribes, but they were all families. They were, uh, each tribe was a, was a separate uh, extended family, and so they had this close connection as tribes. And there was a danger that these tribes would lose sight of their, uh, of their unity as one nation and would think of themselves instead as, I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm a member of the tribe of Reuben, and they wouldn't think of themselves as Israelites. And so, um, so God had a number of strategies uh, for reminding them of their essential unity. And one of them, one of God's strategies, was the number of stones in this monument. Um, Twelve stones, one monument. Twelve tribes, one nation. And so whenever they saw this, this stone monument, they would be reminded, yes, I'm from Judah or whatever, but, um, but I'm part of the, the big nation. I'm part of the nation. And for us today, um, you know, we don't have the, the same kind of tribes like this, but I think the parallel with us is with churches and denominations. Right? So our situation is different from theirs, but there is some similarity in the tendency toward disunity and the need to be reminded of our essential unity as a church. And so we're tempted to think that our church is the right church. You know, we, we've, got, we've got it right here. The Methodists across the street over there, or the Presbyterians down the road, or, or the, uh, the Baptists up there, they, they're a little off. 
right? And we're not really with them. We're, we're the right ones. And they're, but we just need to be reminded, just like they need to be reminded, that the people of God is a bigger thing than just you and your group. Right? So, so we need to be reminded that the church is a lot bigger than any one denomination or non-denomination. And, and the church is a lot bigger than just the church in the U.S. And the church is a lot bigger than the Christians who are part of my political party or my race or my style of worship music. Um, so part of the symbolism of these 12 stones is to remind the people of Israel of their essential unity. And we too can learn that lesson and know that there is an essential unity of the church. But the main thing that the monument was about, the, the, the unity thing is part of it, but the main thing uh, it was to remind people of what it says in the next verses. So uh, verse 6 here, it says, In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the main thing that this uh, uh, monument is to cause people to remember is the miraculous event of the crossing of the Jordan. When the Ark of the Covenant reached the edge of the water, the water stopped. And the people of God crossed the Jordan on dry land. God had intervened in a truly miraculous way so that his people could enter the promised land. And that was not something that, that regularly happened, right? That's why it was such a, a big deal to remember this one. Most of the time, God works within the laws of physics that he set up when he created the world, and he uses those normal principles to do other things that he does. Um, but there are times when God has defied those laws, when he has gone outside of the normal laws of physics to create uh, these miraculous and dramatic and rare occurrences when he intervenes in the world. And he wants us to remember the times when he did those things. And so with this event, uh, God did two things to help make sure people remembered this. First, of course, he had it written down for us, right? We have it now written in the book of Joshua so we can read about it and we know the story now because we have it in, in the scriptures. But he also um, had his people build this stone memorial so that people would remember it for generations to come. They would have this, this thing. And the instructions about it are, are, are interestingly told, right? God doesn't just say, here's what it means. He says, he, 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 play, he tells a little story. This is what it's going to be like. Someday you're going to be walking by here and your children are going to ask you. You see, God anticipates future generations will come to this place where these stones are set up. And, and it makes sense because the stones are set up on the way to the fords of the Jordan. Remember, I mentioned that when it's not the rainy season and it's not, the river's not at flood stage, crossing the Jordan's not a big deal. There's, there's a shallow area where people would ford the river and they just wait across it. Um, and that's not everywhere along the river, but at certain places there's fords. And so they, uh, these stones are set up on the, right along the way when you would go to cross the Jordan. So it's a, it's a high traffic area where they put this thing. And of course, being a high traffic area, they're expecting, hey, people are going to come by here. And, uh, and when they come, uh, they would see these stones and the children would ask their parents about them. And when the children ask their parents the spiritual question about this spiritual monument, the parents would say, I don't know, go ask the priest, go ask a Levi or something. How am I supposed to ask your Sunday school teacher? No, no, the parents are supposed to know the answers to these things. Normal, everyday people are to know how to answer their children's questions and to know how to explain scripture and to know the stories. What happened here? Well, let me tell you. When we got to the Jordan, when our great-grandfather got to the Jordan, God dried it up. People are to know how to teach their own children about God. Uh, parents, it is implied here that parents have a special responsibility to teach their own kids. But it's also pretty clear from the Bible that it's not just about uh, parents teaching their own kids. Each generation has a responsibility to pass on to the next generation the things of God. And so, um, so all of us really have a responsibility to pass on the truth about God and the stories about what he has done to the people of the next generation. So does that mean that we all need to be Sunday school teachers and we should all sign up to, uh, to be on rotation to go back? Well, not necessarily, but maybe some of you should. Some of you should really be thinking about, should I contact Mrs. Mariner and, and tell her that I'm willing to, to be back there and, and, and do my part to uh, pass on to the next generation? But, um, but here's the thing. In the story here, uh, the situation that, 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 that the Bible is talking about here is not about a formal class where a, a teacher is up front teaching a bunch of kids the story of the crossing of the Jordan. It's talking about normal life. We're just passing by on the road and we see these stones and the kid asks about the stones. And so you tell the story. It's not a formal educational environment. It's just talking about God as we go about our day. Um, so having spiritual conversations and teaching should be part of our normal daily experience. It's not just for Sunday mornings. It's not just uh, that we need to talk about, uh, we, we talk about the Sunday school lesson on the way home or, or something like that. We need to have spiritual conversations with our kids uh, on a regular regular basis. Um, in another place, the Bible puts it like this. In, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. 
Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And so in our story today from Joshua, we see that God gives people a symbol, the stone monument, to, to help spark these conversations. But, but these conversations should be a regular thing as we go about our lives. And, and, and that's another way that God has given to help us to remember things. Because sometimes the greatest enemy of our spiritual life is forgetfulness. And so God has given us the written word. And he's given us annual celebrations to remember his great works. And he's given us physical symbols to remind us of his things. In, in, in verse 9, uh, it, it says about these stones, and they are there to this day. So at the time of the writing of the book of Joshua, which we're not sure exactly when this was written, but sometime after the events themselves, um, the, the author could say that those stones are still there right now. Anybody who wants to can go down and see these stones that were taken from the middle of the Jordan. Uh, and they could see and touch the 12 big, smooth river stones. And they could experience that thing of, of these stones that came from the middle of the river. Well, now it's been 3,000 plus years. The stones are, are not uh, in place anymore. Um, so we don't have that particular physical reminder of the miracle that God did. But of course, this was not the only time when God gave his people a physical symbol or a physical monument to be a reminder of something that he had done. Um, so it was a regular pattern that God had told his people to do and that sometimes the people of God even did without explicit instructions from God. It was just something that God approved was have these uh, physical reminders, have physical symbols to remind you of these great events uh, that God has done. Um, because forgetfulness is sometimes the greatest enemy of our spiritual lives and so it is good for us to have physical reminders of the things that God has done for us. So today we don't have the stones of the Jordan anymore but we have many physical symbols that we still have um, in, uh, in, in churches today. Of course, the most common physical symbol that Christians use today is a cross. Um, right? The cross is the, the, the prominent symbol of Christianity. And when you think about it, a cross is a pretty strange religious symbol. Right? What's a cross? Well, a cross was a device used for torture and execution of treasonous criminals. So it's sort of like having your religious symbol be a hangman's noose or a guillotine or something. Uh, except it's worse because uh, a cross was specifically designed to give a long and torturous death. So why do we have crosses in our churches? Why do we have crosses on our jewelry or on our clothing or even crosses on tattoos and things? Why are we into crosses? Because our God... When he saw our hopeless situation and our need for a savior, came down to earth and became a man and suffered and died a horrible death that he did not deserve because we deserved it. He himself bore our sins on the cross so that our sins could be righteously forgiven. The cross was a symbol of cruelty and suffering, but now a cross is the ultimate symbol of love. How much does God love us? So much that he would die on a cross. How much was he willing to sacrifice for us? What was he willing to do to save us from our sins? He suffered and died on the cross for us. And so we celebrate that cross as the ultimate symbol of the love of God, the redemption that is available to us through faith in his sacrifice, and, and, and as a remembrance of the price that Jesus paid so that we could be with him forever. So when, every time we look at a cross, we should think of all that. We should be reminded of the things that God has done and his love for us. Just like the generations that followed Joshua could look at that pile of 12 stones, and they could remember how God had miraculously intervened on their behalf to keep his promise and bring them to the land that he had promised to give them. They could remember that there was a stone there for each of the 12 tribes and that they are a unified nation, whether they're part of the tribe of Judah or Benjamin or Naphtali or whatever. So we have that same kind of reminder in the cross. Another physical reminder that God has given us is the communion meal. We're going to be doing that in just a, a few minutes here. And Jesus taught us that we should regularly eat a ceremonial meal in order to remember the sacrifice that he made for us. As we break the bread and as we eat, we remember his body that was broken for us. And as we drink the cup, we remember his blood that was spilled for us. And the fact that we eat and drink the sacrifice illustrates how Jesus is our spiritual sustenance. Just as our physical life is dependent on physical food, our spiritual life is dependent on the, physical or the spiritual nourishment that we derive from Christ. And even when we use those little cups with the little tear-off lids and those horrible little styrofoam wafers, the symbolism is still there. And, and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. As we experience the physical ritual of the communion meal, we are reminded of important spiritual truths about God and his great act of salvation. Another... Uh, Christian uh, symbol, a physical experience with great spiritual significance for us is the initiation ceremony of baptism. Right? The water of baptism is a symbolic cleansing of the filth of sin from our lives. 
And when we go under the water, it symbolizes how at salvation our old self dies and is buried in the grave. And then when we come up out of the water, it's a symbol of that new life and the rebirth as we uh, come up to, to live a new life in Christ. Baptism is a little different uh, compared to communion in that each of us is only baptized once. Communion we do on a regular basis, but, but we can remember that experience of our baptism. And of course, when we see other people being baptized, it's also a, a reminder of us or to us of our experience of salvation. Um, and all of these physical things are reminders of the things that God has done for us. Just like that stone memorial that we see in Joshua chapter 4 is a reminder of the miracle of the crossing of the Jordan. So, and at the end of, of Joshua chapter 4, it, it retells the scenario with the children again. It tells kind of the same story again. When your children ask, this is what you're to say. And, and, and this time it gives a, a little bit of a longer speech for the elders to give to the children. And at the end it says this. It says in verse uh, 23, it says, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan as he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And then it adds a little bit of an explanation of the significance of this event and, and, and why it was important that the people should not forget it. It says, he did this, that is, God dried up the Jordan, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So even though the book of Joshua, um, God is especially concerned with the people of Israel and, uh, and really focused on his, uh, his, his uh, acts on their behalf, um, even here, um, the crossing of the Jordan was done not just so the Israelites could learn about God, but for the, so that the whole world, all the nations of the earth, could learn that God is who he says he is. And we see that even in the book of Joshua, um, which is one of the most Israel-centric books in the Bible, God is concerned with the other nations around them as well. And he does miracles for Israel so that other nations of the world will see that the God of Israel is the God of the whole world, the only real God. And, and Rahab of Jericho, um, which we, we looked at her story a couple of weeks ago, but uh, she's an example of this. She was a Canaanite uh, person dwelling in Jericho, not an Israelite, and yet she said this. She said, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And see, she became then the model of a person who, from, from outside the nation of Israel, put her faith in God and became part of the people of God. And the other, person that's, uh, sorry, the other purpose that's given here uh, for why God did this miracle was so that you might always fear the Lord your God. He parted the Red Sea and he had this monument built so that the people would always fear him. God dried up the Jordan so that people would fear him. Now, my favorite illustration of what it means to fear God is that we should fear him like a surfer fears the ocean. Right? Surfers know that the ocean is not something to be taken for granted. Right? It is vast and it is powerful and, and you cannot control the ocean. Um, you are completely at its mercy when you go out on, into the waves and onto the ocean. Um, no one can control it. And surfers understand that much better than those of us who have less experience with the sea. Right? Um, and yet, surfers' healthy fear of the big waves and the currents and all that does not cause them to flee away from the coast and go and live far, far away and never go near the ocean. No, they fear it, but they are also drawn to it. And the power of the ocean and the way that you can ride those waves draws them to it, and they love it. And, and that's, uh, they, they respect it, they fear it, they love it. it. It's not a perfect analogy, but I find it helpful to think about uh, the, uh, the fear of God as something like that. We, we, we know God is way beyond our control. We know that uh, when we uh, approach God, we are at his mercy. And yet, uh, when we uh, go to God, we, 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 we fear him, but we love him, and we are drawn to, to him. God has done miracles and revealed his power to us on these dramatic occasions like the crossing of the Jordan so that we might always fear the Lord our God, that we might understand that he is completely beyond our control and that we must approach him in the correct way and that this fear of God would draw us to him. So let's use all the means that God has given us to fight the enemy of forgetfulness. Right? We need to spend time reading his word and remembering all the things that he has taught us in his word. And, 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 and we need to celebrate well the days that we remember his great acts for us in the past. And we need to use physical symbols that God has given to us as uh, reminders of who God is and what he has done for us. And may all of this lead to all the nations of the earth knowing 
that God is the one true God. And may it lead to his people always fearing the Lord our God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that we do forget sometimes the things that you have shown us and that you have taught us, and we need to be reminded. And I pray that you would help us to take advantage of these things that you have done for us to help us to remember, to remember you and to remember who we are. Father, may those things always be clear in our minds, and may we fear you with the, the fear that produces love. Lord, we, we ask these things in your son, Jesus. Amen.